Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. The longer I do this and the longer that I get the honor of, of sharing um, the message and um, the, the good news of, of Jesus, I've realized that it's, it's not about... Um, you know, funny jokes and stories and analogies and illustrations. The power is the fact that our church preaches from this. This is where the power is. I was um, in Israel a few months ago and we were standing at the pool of Bethesda, like literally, like at it. And the pool of Bethesda is kind of this fountain thing in a the city square, and there's a very famous story in the Bible um, of a man who was paralyzed from the waist down, and he would sit by this fountain every single day waiting for somebody. There was kind of this folklore that once a year an angel would come by and would stir the waters, and the first person that was able to touch the waters would be healed of any infirmities. And um, he just could never get there because he was, was paralyzed and just didn't have somebody to help get him there. And um, and so we were standing there physically at the, the fountain of Bethesda where this actually happened. And Pastor Jurgen just said something that just was so simple. It wasn't like wildly profound, but he said that it's the word that unlocks the power. It's the word that unlocks the power. And I just remember hearing that. And that's, that's what happened. It was the word of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said to him, arise, take up your mat and go home. That's when the miracle came. That's when the breakthrough came. It was at the word of God. And that's where the power is. I want to encourage you, if you will lean in to the words that are said from up here, and it's not about the way that I deliver it or Pastor Marco delivers it or the jokes that Pastor Jurgen tells or the accents he talks in and the funny stories he tells. If you'll lean into it, it will change your life because it's the word of God and the word unlocks locks the power. And so I want to read you a story about, um, so we're going to read a lot of Bible today because it's church and it unlocks the power. So you can get some power unlocked. Okay. We're going to read about a man named Hezekiah and he was a king um, in, uh, in ancient Israel. And if you read like, you know, first and second Chronicles, like every new chapter starts like with a new king and almost every single one of them says, you know, and King Abijah, you know, reigned 12 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Then you go to the next chapter, and it's like, and King Ahaz reigned 15 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, over and over and over again. And then you finally get to the story of Hezekiah, and it says something different about Hezekiah. And so it's amazing. He's one of the few good kings in, in all of ancient Israel. So I want to read um, about his life. I actually want to start at the very end of his story. We're going to start at the end. It's going to be like a Christopher Nolan movie, okay, just bouncing all over the place. So um, starting at the end in Second Chronicles chapter 30, starting in verse 20, this is the last thing it says about King Hezekiah. Thus, Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God, and in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment to seek his God, he did it with all his heart, period. So he prospered, period. Three words, so he prospered. The title of my message this morning is, so he prospered. 
so he prospered. And when the Bible talks about prosperity, and when we as a church talk about prosperity, listen, it's one of the, one of the things that people harp on about our church. Oh, they're always talking about money, prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. The word prosperity literally just means flourishing and thriving. And the Bible, when it talks about prosperity, is not just talking about financial prosperity. In Pathfinders, we talk about 360 prosperity, 360 degree prosperity. A, a good friend of mine, Jim O'Connor, the Silver Fox, as he's more affectionately known here at the East Lake Campus, was telling me about a friend of his that um, you know sold a business, like the like massive exit after taxes and after um, you know splitting things up with his partners or whatever, like got like a wire into his bank account for like $65 million or something like that. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's like every entrepreneur's dream. You start a business, you make a massive exit, and then bam, your big financial windfall. But this man was, you know, wildly unhealthy and overweight. He had a severe drinking problem. Um, uh, fan, his wife had left him. Kids wanted nothing to do with him. And so the question is, is he prosperous? Is he prospering? And the answer is, of course, no. Prosperity is not just the, the number of zeros or padding in your bank account. Prosperity is thriving and flourishing in every single area in your life, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your own personal physical health, in your personal mindset, your relationship with your children, relationship with people around you. Yes, in your finances, prosperity all around. What it says of Hezekiah was, so he, pro Jorge, did you do it, bro? Did you get it? Yes. Come on. The Lord has heard our cry. He's descended from heaven in the form of Jorge Mendez. Love you, bro. God bless you. Everybody here is going to Venmo you some money. But you got to tithe on it. You got to tithe on it. What? Uh, while serving kids. Bro, you're amazing. Come on. You're a legend. You're a legend. Oh, praise the Lord. It's going to kick on any second. I'm prophesying. Uh, I don't know what I was talking about. Jorge distracted me. What was I saying? Prosper in all he did everywhere, prosperity all over the place. So what we learned about King Hezekiah was that he lived that kind of life, a prosperous life, a life with, with flourishing and thriving in every single area. How? What we see in his life are some principles that, um, and, and some strategies that he used to extract the prosperity of God into his life. And so we're going to just uh, look at some of his story. I've got three quick points because that's how you do sermons. You know, you have to have three points or else it's just not real and people won't be impacted. So point number one, you're not going to like this one, okay? This one's not going to get a lot of claps and amens. Point number one, if you want to unlock the prosperity of God in your life, you have to take responsibility for yourself. Take responsibility. Yeah, you're all clapping now until I tell you what it actually means. Just get ready. Hold on. I love the, the story of, of King Hezekiah, and I want to read the beginning of 2 Chronicles chapter 29, where we're introduced to King Hezekiah. And it says in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 1 and 2, should be on the screen behind me, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. That's a young man. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. It's one of the few times you hear those words, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And it's crazy because if you look at Second Chronicles 28, which we're not going to do, but it's the story of his father, King Ahaz. And it says King Ahaz, you know, reigned however many years in Jerusalem, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So what we see about King Hezekiah was that he didn't have the role model. 
He didn't have the genetics. He didn't have the pedigree. He didn't come from the right side of the tracks. He didn't, you know, whatever. He even, like, the kingdom he inherited was a disaster. He, he, but he didn't make excuses for the mess that he found himself in. He didn't say, well, you know, I just, it's not my fault that the kingdom's in disarray. It's my dad's fault. My dad drove this thing into the ground, and I'm trying to do the best I can over here. And, you know, I didn't have a, a good example in my father, so that's why I'm dysfunctional. You know, it's not my fault. It's my dad's fault. Blah, 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 blah. He took responsibility for himself and said, I don't care. And listen, I'm going to say something to you that's going to sting a little bit, but it's the truth, okay? Wherever you find yourself in life today, wherever you find yourself, is 100% a product of the choices that you have made, period. Full stop. You are who you are and you are where you are because of the choices that you have made, period, okay? And now listen, you can't control the cards that you've been dealt, but you do get to control how you play those cards, and Hezekiah didn't make excuses, didn't say, you know, and listen, we live in a, a culture today that the, like, the, the gospel of the world that is preached from the mountaintops is this victimhood gospel, that you are subservient to something above you, and that's the reason why you can't get ahead, and that's the reason why you're always buttoned up against this, and that's the reason why you da-da-da. And you can fill in the blank, like, you know, the, the reason that you'll never be able to get ahead is because of systemic racism. The reason you'll never be able to get ahead is because of the oppressive patriarchy. The reason you're never going to be able to get ahead is because of evil capitalism. The reason you'll never be able to get ahead is because your parents were dysfunctional. The reason you'll never... But my Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's it. No qualifiers, no options, no parentheses, no asterisk, nothing. I can do all things. I can do all things. You have the power to overcome the challenges in your life. You have the power. You don't have to live under however you, and listen, I'm not trying to minimize, you know, the, what, how you grew up or the things you're facing. I'm not trying to minimize that. What I am trying to do is maximize the God that you serve. That's what it's about. It's not about how big or small the, the dysfunction is that you grew up around. It's about how big the God is that you serve. I remember listening to uh, Dennis Prager, who is a Jewish um, social commentator and, and uh, kind of conservative radio host, and he was interviewing a, uh, a man that had struggled for a really long time with very, very serious drug addiction and, and um, was kind of, you know, he'd have two steps forward and then two steps back, and one step forward, one step back, and then have a little season of victory, but then fall back into it, but then finally was able to, you know, once and for all kick this very, very serious drug addiction problem, and Dennis Prager was interviewing him, and he said, so what, what was it? What was the moment where things really finally unlocked for you? And this young man said, it was the moment that I stopped blaming my parents for my problems. That was the moment that he was able to find freedom, was the moment he stopped blaming his parents for his problems. I love the one-year Bible so much. I, and to, you know, I don't want to make you guys think that, like, Katie and I have been, we've read the Bible through, like, 45 times, because that's not it. This is literally the first year in my life that I've been able to, like, halfway keep up, okay? So don't think, I'm just, I'm just being fully transparent, okay? But, like, today we were reading on the, Katie was reading, I was driving, okay, I wasn't reading while driving. Katie was just reading on the way down to church and just hit Proverbs 22, verse 4, and it just was like, and if you will take these 14 words and apply them to your life, it will change you for the better. Your life will get way better. 
Proverbs 22, verse 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Humility and fear of the Lord. Now listen to me, friends. Don't pray for God to humble you. You do not want that. Okay? The Bible says in James, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. That's God issuing you a warning. Listen, you don't want me to humble you, so why don't you humble yourself? Okay? You humble yourself so that I don't have to do it for you. Okay? That's what God is saying. And that's a blessing. Trust me, don't pray that prayer. Don't say, Lord, humble me. No, 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 no. Just humble yourself so he doesn't have to do it for you, okay? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. And to me, it's so, I just, I love the Bible. Like the, these 14 words, there's so much depth. I love it because it says, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And the thing that is so ironic almost is that what do people who are proud people really want? They want to be honored. That's what they want. That's what pride is all about. It's, it's about being exalted and honored and everybody saying, oh, wow, you're so awesome. And you're so, when people who are gripped with pride, what they really want is to be, and it's not, not to be honored in a kingdom way. It's perverted and twisted and, and messed up, but it's to be, to be honored. But the irony is that the only way to actually get the honor and exaltation that you want is to be humble enough to not care about it. You can't trick it. It's a paradox. It's what Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the stuff will be added to you. And so if you say, oh, awesome, I want all the stuff. All I have to do is seek first the kingdom, and then I'll get all the stuff. Then you're not seeking first the kingdom. You're seeking first the stuff, and the kingdom is just a means of, to the end so that you can get the stuff. How amazing is that? You cannot trick it. And the thing that is so beautiful to me is that if you actually get to a place where you actually are truly seeking first the kingdom, where nothing else in the world matters to you except for serving God, loving God, being connected to God, then he actually blesses you with all the stuff that you no longer care about because you just care about him. You can't trick it. It's amazing. And I love it that by... Humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Riches and honor and life. And how beautiful is it too, by the way, is this not the nature of God that we give him two things and he gives us back three? I, even that is so simple but so profound because we serve an abundance God. All he asks for is humility and fear of the Lord. And in exchange, we get three things. We get riches and honor and life. Is that not the character and nature of God, that we give him two things, he gives us back three? Can you take responsibility for yourself? Now, I'm gonna, I wanna give you a couple of practical considerations. I don't wanna just, you know, smack you and then say, all right, cool, point two, here we go. Um, a couple of practical ways that you can actually walk this out in church is to be in a position where people know you, okay? That's a very, very big part of taking responsibility for yourself is actually opening yourself up to the people around you that then have license to speak into your life. 
a big part of taking responsibility is actually saying, hey, I'm, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. And I see the way you parent your kids and I'm not parenting like that. So I want to spend time around you. I see your marriage and the way that you talk to your wife in public. And I, I want that all my life. I want to spend time around you. I see the way you manage your finances and the level of financial freedom you work in. I want to spend time around you. I see the way that no matter what storm you're going through, that, that you never seem to be shaken. And there seems to be this supernatural peace on your life. I want to spend time around you. A big part of taking personal responsibility is actually planting yourself in the house of God around God's people and allowing yourself to be known. Join a connect group. Open up at your connect group. Don't just sit there and eat somebody else's food and talk about how you had a great week when you had a terrible week. You're just lying through your teeth. Like, yeah, everything is great. We're doing awesome. And it's not true. And just say, hey, we're not doing great. And what you'll find, people think, and listen, the, the greatest of all human fears is to be rejected. That is, that is at the core of every human being, the, the greatest fear is to be rejected. And, and that, you can call it whatever you want, and no, oh, no, you know, we just don't talk about it. At the end of the day, it's a fear of rejection. That's all it is. No matter what, you can slice it any way you want. That's what it is, fear of being rejected, okay? Now, what you will find at this church, and that's, that's the reason that people are hesitant to open up, is because they fear that what's going to happen is they're going to say, look, here's what's actually going on. Like, you know, and if, if people really knew the, the kind of fights my wife and I have, if people really knew the kind of things that, that, that I think about when my mind goes crazy, that if people only knew the way that I talked to my kids last week, then they will cast me out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's not it. What you will actually find at this church is when you have the courage to say, hey, like, here's, here's what's really going on, that you're going to find people that say, hey, it's all good. I used to walk through the exact same thing, but now I find incredible freedom. Hey, it's all good. I may not have it all figured out, but, but come alongside. Let's do this thing together. Let's find some healing. That's what you'll find at this church. You will find people that are going to partner on, alongside you, and that's what discipleship is. Discipleship means, simply put, teaching people how to live. That's what it is, okay? So that's the practical consideration. Actually allow yourself to be known at this church. Get plugged in to a community of faith. Go to men's and women's prayer. When you go to our prayer meetings and you get around people that know how to pray, you'll be challenged when you listen to, you know, somebody, you know, like thunder away and the way they, like, I love listening to Pastor Rudy play, prays. When Rudy prays for his children and his grandchildren, I get convicted. I'm like, gosh, like, I don't, I don't pray for my kids with the same fervor and tenacity that Pastor Rudy prays for his kids. And so it actually pulls me up. It draws me higher. It calls me into a new level of ownership over the spiritual health of my children just by being around people that know how to pray. And then lastly, you have to pray the right kinds of prayers. You have to pray the right kinds of prayers. There's a very bizarre story in Numbers 21 um, that I love that the Israelites are wandering around the desert. Moses is leading them. And the people start to complain, and they're mad because, you know, the desert sucks. And, you know, I wish we could just go back in Egypt where we got beaten every single day, and we had to make bricks until our fingers bled, but at least we weren't in the desert, and at least we had food and water. And God gets so frustrated because he's like, I literally, like, saved you from the worst tyrant in the history of the world, and now you're free and on your way somewhere really awesome, and you can't even just be patient. And so God gets so mad. Old Testament God was crazy. Old Testament God, literally the Bible says he sends fiery serpents to go and bite them and kill them. Can you imagine? Snakes are scary. I don't really, you know, I don't like snakes, but a snake on fire? <laughs> Most terrifying thing in the world. And that's what the Bible says, that there were fiery serpents and going and biting people. And then people, the people, 
what they do is they go to Moses and say, Moses, will you pray that God will take the snakes away? And it's all wrong. They don't even take responsibility and say, hey, let's pray. They say, Moses, can you pray? We're not gonna pray, but can you pray? And can you pray that God takes the snakes away? The correct prayer would have been, God, what is it in me that has brought these snakes upon us? What is it in me? And that's why the most courageous prayer you can pray is the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, O Lord. Find every wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you have the courage to pray a prayer like that, then necessarily you will be confronted with things inside yourself. If God answers that prayer, the answer to that prayer is not pleasant because it means you're gonna see things in you that you don't like. You're gonna see things in you that you don't wanna deal with. You're gonna see things in you that are difficult to unravel. You're gonna have to confront the, the trauma from your childhood. You're gonna have to confront a relationship that went sour that you need to mend. You're gonna need to confront dysfunctions in you and fears in you. But it's the most courageous thing you can pray is search me, O Lord. Search me, O Lord. And find every wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We have to take responsibility for ourselves. Point number two, you got to take responsibility for God's house. I want to read a little bit more of King Hezekiah's story. So we started in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 1 and 2. It talks about how, um, you know, he um, uh, did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And then it says in verse 3, in the very first year of his reign, in the first month, I love that. This is a 25-year-old, 25-year-old young man that the minute he takes um, office of the king of Israel in the very first year of the first month, the first thing he does, it says he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. Jump down to verse 15, it says, and they, the Levites and the priests, they gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Then the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris that they found in the temple um, of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook Kidron. And I love that because the very first thing that King Hezekiah does is he recognizes the sacredness of God's house. He recognizes the sacredness of God's house. And it says that his, his edict, his ordinance Pastor Katie, his, his law was carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Clean up the church. Literally, that's what it means. Clean up the church. Now, a lot of you guys would know our story, um, you know, because you've, you've been with us um, since 2020. But if you're newer here, you may not know. Like, we, Katie and I haven't always been the pastors of this campus. We um, were asked to be a part of the launch team for the campus years ago. And so we were going to Balboa at the time. And so we were like, okay, yeah, sure. So we came to be a part of this campus. And um, it was another couple pastors, Drew and Emma Davies, that started this campus. And we were just serving under them, had the living our best life, having a great time serving them and had no ambition of ever taking over by any stretch. And, and we, you know, were, would lead alongside them and, and became kind of like their right hand. And, um, and in uh, November of 2019, I had an engineering job and was just working away um, as an employee for this engineering company. And I felt God telling me to, it was time to branch out and start my own company. And so I quit my job 
and I launched out to start my own business. And so November of 2019, I was unemployed, unemployed. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do it. I'm, I'm, I'm on, on faith. I'm, it's going to be great. And then we sit down with Pastors Drew and Emma Davies, and they say, hey, we just had a conversation with Pastor Jurgen and Leanne, and we feel called by God to move to Seattle and start a church, and Pastor Jurgen and Leanne are sending us, and so we're moving. And I was like, what? And I wish that I could tell you, honest moment from your pastor, that I was just like, yay, all oh, glory to God. Go conquer the Pacific Northwest. Go take the Northwest for Jesus. Uh-uh. I was literally, my first thought was very selfishly, what does that mean for me? <laughs> and then a couple weeks later, Pastor Jurgen took Katie and I out to lunch and just said, hey, we want you guys to take over the East Lake campus of Awaken Church. And we were like, okay, you know, yeah, great. We're, we're good for it. And so we said yes. And our very first Sunday was a very historic Sunday in the history of our church. I don't know if you guys remember or realize it was November or uh, January 5th, 2020. It was Vision Sunday, okay? Very first Sunday of 2020. And it was the historic day where we changed our name from C3 San Diego to Awaken Church. That was our very first Sunday. As, as the pastors, officially. And so, you know, it was amazing. We were still over there in the building, and so we had the lights going and the haze everywhere, and, and the very first Sunday, and then after worship, this video starts, everybody's sitting down, and the video starts going, and it's like all of these, like, highlights from the 18 years of the history, or 15 years at the time, of the history of the church, and it was just like the room was electric. Like, out of nowhere, like, somebody, somebody just started, like, slow clapping, and then, like, some, you know, other people joined in and started clapping. And then it was, like, literally a scene out of the movie Rudy. And then, like, a couple people stood up. And then other people stood up. And the video's going. And the music is bumping. And people just start clapping louder and louder. And then people start shouting and cheering. By the end of the movie, I mean, literally, like, 500 people are just in an uproar, just shouting and screaming and going crazy. And then the video ends. And it just says, boom, Awaken Church. And then Katie and I come out. And we say, welcome for the first time in the history of the world to Awaken Church. And the confetti goes off and people are screaming and cheering. And it was like this three-minute standing ovation. That was our first Sunday. And Katie and I were just like, this is awesome. This is awesome. And then a few weeks later, we were still part of the C3 church movement at the time. Um, every year there's this big conference. And if you're the pastor of a C3 church, and C3 is a movement of churches that's got like 500 churches all over the, the world, if you're your pastor, one of the churches that has over a thousand people, you get to go to like some super special pastor's conference for people that have a church over a thousand people. And we'd been on the job for like two weeks, but our church had over a thousand people. And so they were like, yeah, sure, you guys got to go. And so we got to fly to Waikiki to this conference. And we're there like amount, you know, with all these like professional pastors, like, you know, like real ones. And, uh, you know, they're talking to us and they're like, you know, gosh, you know, how's it going out there in California? What are y'all's strategies? You know, what's working? And Katie and I are just like, yeah, you know, totally. Yeah, all of it. It's all working. It's all, you know, like what, what you know, what, what have y'all implemented lately? And I'm like, well, we, we said yes. Um, and so here we are, you know. And then so we were, it was amazing just there in Waikiki with all these pastors. And I'm, Katie and I are just like, this is amazing. I can't believe this is happening to us. And then we got home and there was another like pastor's conference here in town. It was at the Omni Hotel in La Costa. And we got to 
go and be a part of it. Like all expenses paid. Katie and I got to stay there at the hotel. It was awesome. We were just like, we like, I cannot believe that this is what it's like. We have hit the jackpot. We said yes and praise the Lord. And then Katie gets invited to go to Sydney, Australia with Pastor Leanne because she's gonna be speaking at Color Conference, which is the largest women's conference in the world. Starts in Sydney, Australia and Katie gets to go. So Katie's like on a flight, on her way to Australia. She's never been before. And she's like, you're gonna be okay taking care of the kids? I'm like, yeah, baby, are you kidding me? This is the opportunity of a lifetime. You gotta go. It's gonna be amazing. So Katie's off there and she's calling me. She's like, babe, I can't even believe it. This is so crazy. This conference is wild. It's just, a, I'm learning so much. Da, da, da. And then she, she's like, so how are, how are things back home? And this was like March of 2020. And I said, well, babe, um, it's good, but I should warn you that when you come home, we may not have toilet paper. <laughs> and she said, what do you mean? I said, look, I, don't, I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But you should know that there is like some countrywide shortage of toilet paper. And so just be ready when you come home. So Katie was like on one of the last flights out of Sydney before things like really, and then it was like, then pastoring got really hard, really, really hard, really, really fast. And it was like God gave us this like three month honeymoon where we were like, this is the best. And then it got really hard. And 2020 was one of the hardest years of our life. You know, we, um, you know, for those of you that were there, remember, I mean, it was, it was, our church faced unbelievable scrutiny. We faced very, in the middle of um, pastoring this place and then um, George Floyd died and there was unprecedented racial tension in our country, in our church, in our campus. In the middle of that, my sister took her own life um, unexpectedly. So we were flying back to Texas, dealing with that, burying my sister, pastoring this place, 2020 was very, very, very hard for us. But we made a decision that we believed with all of our heart that the church was the single most important thing in the world. We made a decision that it didn't matter the cost, it didn't matter the risk, it didn't matter the consequences, it didn't matter, you know, if, if we tangibly felt some blessed, like we made a decision that the church is the most important institution on the planet. There was one Wednesday when things had really gotten to a head and you know, we were getting cease and desist letters from the county all the time, and, but knew that the church had to be open. The church is the most essential institution on the planet. And so we were getting threats from, from you know, health officials all over the place and hey, the sheriff is gonna come, he's gonna. And there was actually one Wednesday when things had really kind of come to a head where we, we were told, hey, like it's, it's highly possible that law enforcement's gonna be there and if you guys have church, they're gonna arrest you. And so Katie and I were just like, well, golly, like what do we do? Like we have small kids, so we can't both go. We can't both get arrested and just leave the kids, you know, Zeke will take care of everybody at home, I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so literally we had to make the decision like, hey, you stay home and I'll go. So at least, you know, if, if I get carted off, you know, you'll be there to take care of it. Like those were the kinds of decisions. Thankfully, nothing happened, obviously. But those were the kinds of decisions that we were making in 2020. And it was, I wouldn't say it was easy to make them, but it was, it, we were, it was so easy to make them in the sense of we were, we were deeply convicted because we knew the power of the house of God. We knew that the church was infinitely important. And King Hezekiah comes in knowing that the single most sacred place on the, on the planet is the church. And it was one of the keys that unlocked prosperity in his own life was he prioritized God's house. 
Katie and I have made a decision, and many of you have too. I'm not saying it's just us. There's, there's many of you that have made the, the same decision we have to the same degree that we have that we're gonna believe the Bible when it says in Psalm 92, those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. That's either true or it's not. And we have made a decision, as well have many of you, that we're gonna hold that as if it's true. That if we truly do plant ourselves in the house of the Lord, then we will flourish. And flourish is it's a synonym of, of prosperity. That's what prosperity means. It means to flourish and thrive. We made a decision that that was true. And I remember um, a couple years ago, we were walking through the, the, the California redwoods in Northern California with the sequoia trees. Anybody seen the sequoia trees? Like it is like awe-inspiring. These trees are as tall as a 30-story building. Like they're 300 feet tall. There's one of them actually, one of the trees had fallen over. And so they, um, the forestry service cut like a big slice through the trunk and put the trunk up like as like this big, you know, kind of, thing you could look at. And it was, of course, you know, giant, huge. And every, every ring through the trunk represents a year of life. And so somebody very cleverly showed a timeline through the trunk of the tree from the outside edge to the inside of the tree and showed different events in history that had happened in accordance with the rings of the tree. So literally, like, you could see this line and it said, like, you know, World War II, World War I, Revolutionary War, Declaration of Independence, all the way through until literally there was a pin in that trunk that said, the birth of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This tree, the sequoia tree, was on earth when Jesus was born. Crazy. So you're walking through these trees and there's nothing like it. I mean, they are giant. And then I find out that the, the tap root, the main root, the, the big, biggest root of the tree only goes down in most of these sequoia trees about 10 or 12 feet. That's it. So like literally from the top of my head, probably down to the floor, a root for a tree that's 300 feet tall. And the way that it works is their roots don't go deep, they go wide. And the root systems of sequoia trees go out so that they actually get entangled with the other roots of other neighboring sequoia trees. And the reason that these are the tallest species of tree in the world that can stand the test of time, that can live thousands of years is because they have entangled themselves with their neighbors. And what do roots do for trees? Roots provide nourishment and roots provide stability when the storm comes. The reason that these trees don't get blown over, the reason that you don't get blown over when the storm comes is if you have planted yourself in the house of the Lord and your roots have become entangled with those around you so that you can draw on the nourishment of your neighbors in times of famine. You can draw on the stability of your neighbors in times of storm. That's why you plant yourself in the house of the Lord and you will flourish. Practically, what does that look like? Say yes to things. Make a decision that you're gonna say yes to things at church. When a leader comes in and says, hey, you know, I'd really love for you to step into whatever, don't let the default position of your heart be, no, I can't, too busy, oh, too much going on with the family, oh, man, you know, work's really crazy right now. And listen, I understand there's wisdom and balance and all that. I don't, you know, there's a Jim Carrey movie called Yes Man where he literally says yes to everything and it doesn't go very well, okay? So I'm not talking about that. But allow yourself to be stretched Allow yourself to, maybe, maybe you're in here and you've just been attending for, for years and you love it. Maybe actually take a step and go to DNA. Go to DNA and get plugged in on a team. Start serving this church. Maybe you're serving, you've been serving for a long time, but it's time for you to, to take the next step and actually 
take responsibility for the people around you and begin to lead on some level, whatever it is. Like all of the, so many of, the Bible says in Romans 11 that the gifts of God are unrepentant, which means that when God bestows a gift on you for the building of his church, he doesn't take it back if you go use the gift somewhere else. And so many of the skills that Katie and I have learned and developed, you know, how to handle crisis, how to um, lead, lead people um, you know, and have like a, a, a big capacity, how to handle conflict, conflict resolution, how to have tough conversations with people, how to do public speaking. All of those are gifts that have been unlocked in us over years and years of serving this church. And we, we use those gifts in the marketplace now. And the gifts of God are unrepentant. And God has developed those gifts in us for the building of his house, but then also says, hey, Go do whatever you want with it. And so we've leveraged those gifts to provide prosperity in the marketplace. And that's one of the great, um, you know, upsides of planting yourself in the house of the Lord is it'll unlock skills and gifts inside of you. So I want to just encourage you to stretch and say yes to things in God's house. And lastly, point number three, we'll get the team up with me as we close, is you have to take responsibility for people. And again, remember, we're talking about what in King Hezekiah's life unlocked true 360 degree prosperity in his life. It was taking responsibility for himself, taking responsibility for God's house, and lastly, taking responsibility for people. And a little later in 2 Chronicles 30, we have another little snippet of King Hezekiah's life in verse 17. It says, for there were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. Therefore, the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. For a multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them saying, may the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. What's happening in this story is so beautiful because what's happening is revival is breaking out. King Hezekiah has come in and reestablished the importance of the church and the house of the Lord and revival is breaking out. But these people who are experiencing for the first time the love of God and the power of God, again, they've been living in a kingdom of Israel that has not, has not talked about God, has not done right by God. And so they don't know any of the, the rules and the statutes and the history and the laws and the, all the, you know, the rigmarole. And they, they don't know. They just know that like whatever's happening, they want to be a part of it. But so they come into the church and they're just, you know, it'd be like if somebody rolled in with like no shirt on into church and we'd be like, bro, you can't come to church with no shirt on. But he's like, well, I don't know. I just want to be here, you know? And King Hezekiah, instead of saying, hey, get out of here with, listen, if you come in without a shirt, we're going to have somebody put a shirt on you, by the way, just so you know, all right? But it's not like, get out of here, you shirtless monster. <laughs> King Hezekiah didn't just throw people out because they, they didn't have the right, you know, right rituals and all the right... He prayed for them and said, Lord, have mercy on them. Their hearts are, they, they want you, they desire you. They just don't know yet all the, the rules and all the, whatever, the culture. And the Bible says that God listened to his prayer. He heard the prayer of King Hezekiah and he healed the people. One of the most loving things that you can do today is tell people the truth. Christianity holds that there is one God, creator of everything, creator of, of everything that we see, of heaven and earth. And as an intelligent designer, as a creator God, he would necessarily have had a function in mind when he made something. No engineer, no fabricator, no woodworker ever makes something 
and then just says, I don't know what it's for. You only make something if you as the designer and the maker have an intention for the thing that you make. God has made this universe to operate a certain way. And when we align ourselves with that design, it produces maximum human flourishing. Now, the, the kicker is you don't have to. You don't have to. In the same way that the designers of the Toyota Prius designed it for a specific purpose, and it was not to go off-roading. But you can, you can. I'm telling you, I've been to many an off-road trail, and there's no signs that say, hey, no Priuses. You know, Prius is strictly forbidden. It doesn't say that. You can take your Prius and you can charge off into the, the trail. You can, but it's not what it was designed to do. And it will break down. You won't get where you wanna go. And it'll be sad when a tow truck has to come pull your Prius off the trailhead. Priuses, they, they were designed for two things, to save gas and scare people in parking lots when they sneak up on you. Have you ever been in a parking lot, you're just pushing your shopping cart, whoa, there's a Prius like two feet behind you. He's like, how'd you get there? You were designed to operate and live a certain way. And you don't have to, you don't have to, you can go do whatever you want. But it's not what you were designed to do. It will not produce maximum human flourishing in your life. Our culture today is stuck in this loop of, of quicksand ideology that gives people nothing to stand on. One of the most foundational questions that should be really easy to answer that's swirling around like wildfire in today's culture is what is a woman? And I can answer it in two letters, XX, but the answer that the culture gives is that a woman is anybody who identifies as a woman. You can't use the word you're trying to define in the definition of the word. It makes no sense. It's like, what is intelligence? Well, intelligence is the state of having intelligence. That's what's happening. It means nothing. It's logically incoherent. There's nothing to stand on. It's what's called circular reasoning. Love is love. What is love? Oh, love is love. What is fish? Oh, fish is fish. It makes no sense. You can't define the word love by using the word love. What it is, and I want you to listen to me very closely because a lot of time, the kinds of things I'm saying to you right now is interpreted as hate speak. What love is love and, and you know, a woman is whoever identifies, what it is, is it is a foundationless ideology that has no solid ground to stand on and what it does is it capitalizes on broken people who are hurting and dysfunctional and it gives them no solid rock to stand on and it pulls them in to an ever-growing, ever-descending wave of dysfunction. The reason that we talk about this kind of stuff is actually because we love people. Because I don't want, the reason that we rail against these kinds of ideologies is because they're preying upon broken people and, and we say, not on our watch, there's no way that we're gonna let people slip into further and further dysfunction when there's actually a better way. There's actually a path that leads to life. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. If you wanna live in a life that's full of abundance and thriving and prosperity, you look to the words of Jesus. Don't listen to what Rihanna tells you. Don't listen to what Katy Perry is saying. Go to the word of God. The word of God is spirit and it is life. But 
big caveat. King Hezekiah's approach was not, like I said about the shirtless guy earlier, it wasn't, you don't just go beat people over the head with the truth and say, hey, what the heck is wrong with you? You know, you're living in, like I, Katie and I have gone to, um, it's called Balboa Nights down at Balboa Park every Christmas. And we've done, gone it a few times. It's always crazy, you know, packed shoulder to shoulder. And, um, and there's always the people there that have the big, the picket signs, you know, that say turn or burn or, you know, repent or you're going to hell. And, and I just wanna like ask them, like, has that ever worked? Ever? Like, have anybody ever come up to you and be like, whoa, I didn't know that, tell me more. I'm like, what is your batting average on, on, on this strategy here? And that's not the approach we see from King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah didn't say, hey, come on you nasties, what are you doing walking into the house of God with all that filth? Clean yourself up before you come back in here. He prayed for the people, he prayed for them. He said, God, you know, they may not have it all together, but they, they want you. And it says that God heard his prayer. Awakened Church is a church that loves people. We want to see people walk in freedom. We wanna see people walk in the blessing and the favor of God. We don't do it by going around and, and smacking people in the face with Bibles. Don't, that's, a, that's called assault. You can't do that, it's against the law. The way that you win people over is you live a life that they want. That's it. If you're, like, if you're out evangelizing your faith and your marriage is a mess and you haven't brushed your teeth and your hair is like this and you just got fired from your job, like someone, and you're like, hey man, I'm telling you, there's a, there's a better way. Come on, come join Team Jesus. And they're gonna be like, no, I'm good. No, thanks. This team looks a little better. Okay, you're like hurting us more than you're helping us. The best thing you can do is live a life that, that people look at and say, I, I want that. I want whatever you have. And, it, and it's not, I'm not talking about, you know, living a big flashy life with just money and prosperity and all that. I'm talking about the kind of life where when you go through things, people say, I don't understand. Like if that happened to me, I, I would have been wrecked. But I walked, I watched you and you still have such joy and you still have this peace that seems to surpass all understanding. That's what it looks like. Then you can say, here's how it works. I actually have lived, I live my life believing the story of the Bible. And the story of the Bible is not that I have it all together and, and I pull myself up by my bootstraps and I grip my teeth and I do everything that's right and I memorize my Bible verses. That's not it. The message of Christianity is that I'm not good enough, but there was a man 2,000 years ago that lived a life that I couldn't live, died a death that I deserved, three days later was raised again, proving once and for all that death is no longer the final say, that there is eternal life for those that believe in Jesus. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what it looks like. It doesn't look like, you know, hey, you're, you suck at this and you suck at that. Don't do that. That's not how it works, okay? It's living a life that people look at and say, I want that. But you wanna unlock prosperity in your life in every area of your life. You have to take responsibility for yourself, take responsibility for the house of God, take responsibility for other people. When we hop to our feet as we close, uh, clinical psychologist Jordan Peterson says that the meaning that will sustain you through life is to be found in the adoption of responsibility. And the more responsibility that you're willing to adopt, the more richly meaningful your life will be. And so I wanna just bow our heads and close our eyes. We're gonna close out really quick. I wanna get you guys out of here and into the cool breeze. 
if you're in here and you just know that, that, that God is speaking to you, that there's one of, one of those areas in your life that you're like, man, you know what? I'm, I'm falling a little bit short. Um, I wanna take a second and pray with you. So if you know that, that God's knocking on the door of your heart to, to um, take a little more personal responsibility of yourself and maybe it's, there's, there's you know, just some, something in your past that you've, you've kind of shoved away and know that God's knocking on the door for you to, to bring it into the light. Maybe um, you know, there's a relationship that's soured that you know you need to go and make right. Maybe there's some unsaid things between you and your wife that you know you need to, to sit around the dinner table and talk about. I don't know what it is. Or maybe um, you, you know that, that you're here and you love the church, you go to church, you attend the church, but, but you, you, you've yet to take responsibility for the church and treat it like a house and not treat it like a hotel. Or maybe you're in here and you haven't taken responsibility for the people around you. If you're in any one of those categories of people, I just wanna say a quick prayer for you as we leave. If you would just make a public stand and say, that's me, I want you to just lift your hand up so I can pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these hands lifted. God, we declare right now fresh measure of prosperity, prosperity in every area, all around. God, 360 degrees coming on the people of the East Lake Campus of Awakened Church. God, and every hand lifted. I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would move in their hearts and would give them the strength and the courage to pray a prayer like David prayed. Search me, O Lord, find every wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. God, and I pray that the mark of the people of the Eastlake Campus of Awakened Church would be the prosperity of heaven, that people in our workplace, our family members, people that we bump into at the gym, whatever it may be, they say, man, I don't know what it is about you, but whatever it is, it's working. Whatever it is, I, w I want it. What is it? Can you tell me about it? And we'll be able to say, yes, it's the power of the message of Jesus Christ. If you would just surrender your life to him, then everything could be different. God, we pray right now for fresh measures of prosperity over our amazing church. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already, and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.